Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I'm your host, Arme Grigic, and today with me is uh, Inzo van Zanten. He is a Choco evangelist at Tony's Show Cologne. Welcome, Inzo. Thank you. Yeah, nice for being here. Uh, no problem at all. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got to work at Tony's, Tony's Show Cologne? Oi, yes. Uh, uh, I, I'm just seeing how far I'm digging uh, back into history. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've uh, majored in economics and then I uh, worked as a management consultant for a while. And I think, in essence, uh, I don't do much different uh, than uh, now than what I was doing then. So I tend to be always bridging the gap between, I don't know, uh, knowledge and applicability of that knowledge. So mm-hmm. I was a management consultant, and but after a while, uh, I wanted to do something uh, else with my life. And during a sabbatical, I ran into a guy who was part of a small, uh, uh, fresh and healthy fruit juice company from the UK, Innocent Drinks. Uh, so uh, in the end, I ended up launching Innocent Drinks on the European continent. Uh, with a friend of mine from my university days, and uh, after about four or five years, we uh, parted ways again, and uh, I became a management consultant, always working in the field um, of strategy, communication, and sustainability, and uh, specifically where those three enforce each other or have synergy with each other. And that friend of mine that I ran Innocent Drinks with uh, first bought the minority share and the majority share afterwards in a little chocolate company called Tony's Chocolate Only. So from that moment, I got involved as an external advisor to Tony's. Um, and about four years ago, he managed to completely lure me in into the company Tony's. So uh, I became a full-time part of uh, Tony's as the chief evangelist of the brand. So what I do is that I travel the globe uh, and someday hopefully the galaxy and beyond to spread <laughs> the values of Tony's Chocolate Only uh, as a company working towards 100% slave-free chocolate worldwide. So we don't do any form of paid media. It's all word of mouth that we do. And so far, it's been rather successful because we're the um, a market leader in chocolate in the Netherlands, and we're available almost all, all across the globe nowadays. Uh, and uh, we're working, uh, well, as I said, we're working hard towards our mission of 100% slave-free chocolate worldwide. And my job, I tend to say we communicate on pack, uh, online, uh, and on stage. And on pack is the, the branding, the, the everything at point of sale, etc., Online is obviously social media and our website and on stage is what I tend to do, which is more or less a spokesperson of a company, but it's slightly different because uh, spokespersons tend to do a lot of crisis communication and I tend to do much more of the positive side. So I try to create awareness amongst consumers, but also amongst other companies and business leaders and entrepreneurs try to show how we as a company want to lead by example. Uh, and uh, lastly, we want to inspire other companies to also take their responsibility when it comes to respecting human rights in their value chains. So that is my yeah. job, and that is how I got involved with uh, with Tony's. Well, cool. Uh, what I uh, what I was wondering about is um, if you uh, have to like compare yourself to other brands that uh, are also producing chocolate and stuff like that. Uh, what's kind of the the real uh, big differences between uh, uh, your company and uh, and the others? 
I think the the, the biggest uh, difference at the moment, because th that's slightly confusing to some people, we don't want there to be a difference anymore, right? Mm. Our USP is that we don't want to be unique. We want other companies to do what we're doing. Uh, because only together can we actually make sure, sure that all chocolate becomes 100% slave-free worldwide. It's not something we can do by ourselves. So I think what we do different at this point in time is the fact that we have direct and long-term relationships with farmers in Ghana and Ivory Coast uh, to be able to pay them a actual living income reference price for the cocoa beans that we buy from, from them. Um, we we built these long-term relationships. Uh, we uh, help these uh, farmers and their cooperatives to uh, stand stronger in the negotiations when it comes to getting that fair living income reference price. I think also a big difference is that uh, you tend to see many companies nowadays look for their purpose if they don't have one and then start communicating drastically and, uh, 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 and very... Uh, uh, happily about that newfound purpose. Uh, so they tend to perform marketing based on that purpose whilst uh, we actually only do marketing to get towards our purpose. So that's 180 degrees the other way around. I think that's mm -hmm. a difference and hopefully we see changes there pretty soon. I think we do already. Yeah, yeah. because um, uh, for people that don't know, uh, how, how does that, uh, because there is a supply chain, of course, for getting chocolate uh, or getting cocoa beans and then making chocolate out of it. Uh, what's kind of the, the things that are happening right now that... Um, yes. Yeah, that are maybe not good at the. At well, the let moment. me give you a little little uh, background there. What what is happening sure. in the cocoa industry at the moment? Because unfortunately, there's a very, as I say, bitter reality to the sweet story of chocolate, and that is the fact that even nowadays in 2020, there are more than two million kids working in the chocolate industry, uh, of which in just Ghana and Ivory Coast alone, which is the Western Africa, and where that that's where about 60% of all cocoa in the whole world comes from just those two countries, 90% um, of the kids work in illegal circumstances. So that means they uh, uh, work with heavy machinery, work with chemicals, work with uh, walk around with sharp machetes, uh, or at the age of uh, six, seven, eight years old, uh, are forced to carry bags of cocoa beans that weigh 60 kilos per bag. And in the very worst case, according to the latest figures, at least 30,000 kids and sometimes even grown-ups are subject to something that we define as modern slavery. So that's being forced to work, do unpaid work, outside of family situations, etc. So that's just the very worst tip of the iceberg of that forced labor. And we just want to work towards eradicating that forced labor entirely. Uh, together with cocoa farmers, with consumers, with retailers, with governments. So that is the current situation, even now, today in 2020. So there is, it is a deeply ingrained systemic problem in the cocoa industry that, yes, uh, other producers are also working to eradicate, but it's not being worked towards enough, we think. So we need to up the pressure on governments, but also on organizations Everybody needs to take their responsibility. Down to the farmer level, everybody needs to take the responsibility. And people are way too much pointing at each other to fix that problem. It is something we need to pick up together to 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 fix. Hmm.
Yeah, and uh, for, from my standpoint, so how uh, how did that process go? Because then you need to, of course, uh, directly go to the farmers and say, okay, exactly. uh, we have a different we have a different kind of way of of working and stuff like that. How how was that process like? Yeah, so uh, what what the, what happened historically was that uh, in I'm going back slightly further. In 2001, there were two American senators that set up the Harkin and Angle Protocol. And that protocol was meant to eradicate the worst forms of forced child labor from the value chain of cocoa within about five years' time in the first time frame of the protocol. And that protocol was signed by all of the big chocolate producers in the world. I mean, essentially, it comes down to the fact that about 90% of all chocolate is made by no more than, than, than uh, 10, 10 uh, big chocolate producers in the world. And they all signed that agreement. But in the end, nothing changed. And around 2005, almost at the end of the first term of that protocol, there was a Dutch television show called Keuringsdienst van Waarde that looks to the, let me put this in blunt Dutch, the reality behind sometimes the bullshit of food marketing uh, in the world. Uh, and the journalist Teun van de Keuken uh, was shocked when he realized that nothing had changed in the cocoa industry and nothing had been done towards change. So long story short, they started digging into it. They even had a court case set up against themselves as chocolate consumers uh, about just to, to create awareness around this bit of reality. And in the end, Tone ended up starting his own chocolate company, Tony's Chocolate Only. So Tony's, the international name for Tone and Chocolate Only for his lonely battle in the chocolate industry to, to fix mm. that problem in the chocolate industry. Uh, and in, in, in essence, we never started a chocolate company to become a successful chocolate company. We started a chocolate company to create awareness around the problem. We ended up becoming market leaders in the Netherlands and are now available in Scandinavia and Germany and France, UK, US, and, and, and more exotic places in the world. But still for us, we always say we're not a chocolate company. We're an impact company, right? Making chocolate instead of a chocolate company making impact. Yeah. So for us, chocolate is a means towards a goal, just like for us, financial success isn't a goal, but simply a means towards a goal. For us, financial success means that we can grow and create more impact. But for us, it's about creating the impact, not creating the revenue. Yeah, exactly. And when you when you look at it that way, when you're, uh, as you said, if you're an impact company, that also means that you could go into other avenues than just saying, okay, we need, uh, we. of course, you're doing it within chocolate right now, but there are other avenues that uh, are still to be explored or can be changed in the in I the mean, there's, well. there's forced child labor in many more branches. There's forced child mm -hmm. labor in the fashion industry, entertainment industry, etc. I mean, I, I don't think we'll go into those industries, but once we reach no. our mission of 100% slave-free chocolate, worldwide we're more than happy to focus on those fields but for yeah. us our success i think comes from that other focus on cocoa and chocolate yeah and that's that's good i mean it uh, if you do too much then it, the impact is less of course if you exactly. if you go into multiple branches exactly. or something like that. exactly if someone once said i don't know what the road to success is but the road to failure is trying to please all of the people all of the time so that's mm. unfocused yeah, yeah, exactly. So what are some of the, the because uh, you've been going for a while now, uh, what, what were some of the challenges uh, along the way? So what are some of the things that oh, you man, really I, need to go through? <laughs> uh, there's books we can fill with the challenges that we had to overcome. Oh, we're still <laughs> overcoming. I think it was a great quote by Winston Churchill once said, success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. And I think yeah, that exactly. is our key asset, um, that mm. we have so much fun in what we do. And we're so mission-driven that will happily jump from failure to failure. I mean, there is 
examples of bars that we launched that were a, a complete failure. Uh, but I would say that the most important things that we obviously at the moment struggle with is is a huge growth uh, um, KPI that we're always focused on. I mean, we want to grow 50% year on year because, and that's not for the sake of growing. That's not for the sake of pleasing shareholders. It's for us because we can make more impact if we grow. So we have a very aggressive growth figure of wanting to grow 50% year on year. And in the last two years, we haven't reached that. I mean, any entrepreneur would be happy with 26% growth after 15 years still, but for us, it's not enough. Um, it's also growing internationally, which is a big focus for us, but it's also a struggle. I mean, we're, we're growing like crazy in the US, we're growing like crazy in the UK. But, but how do you maintain this, this focus on uh, that vision of ours? How do you maintain that amazing company culture that we have that is so purpose-driven? Uh, those are challenges. Um, I mean, the fact that, uh, I don't know, when I joined, I, well, the, I first started working with Tony's when the, we were three, four people, uh, and we are more than 100, 160 at the moment. That's a mm -hmm. challenge. Uh, how do you, at this point in time in the corona crisis, uh, onboard people without having an office? You know, <laughs> that's a challenge. There's constant yeah. challenges there. Yeah. So, um, uh, and it's also a challenge for us, really. I mean, that last step in our strategy is to really inspire other organizations to also take their responsibility. So it's yeah. it's a challenge to make sure that more people start doing what we're doing at the rate that we want them to do. So mm -hmm. uh, it takes a lot of convincing others still to just start doing what we're doing in the way that we're doing it. Uh, and that is a challenge. So we have the Tony's open chain platform that we actively invite other retailers, other chocolate manufacturers, other brands to join to simply follow a five sourcing principles that we have. I touched upon a couple of them already, which mainly mm -hmm. comes down to taking responsibility for your full value chain and paying a fair price for the cocoa beans that you source. Um, that is a challenge. Um, and at the moment, I mean, we're facing, we are upping, upping the pressure on international uh, governments, so that's the government of the US, but also all governments of the individual member states of the European Union to make sure that there's not just legislation in place, but there's also due diligence by companies to make sure that they adhere to this legislation. So they need to make sure that there's no violations of human rights in their whole value chain. And you can do that. We show that you can do it. Uh, but I think there's been too much talk around this, too much empty promises over the last 10, 20 years. And even last week, um, the uh, report was leaked to Reuters about the current situation of child labor in uh, Ghana and Ivory Coast. And it has only increased. It's, we haven't seen the report yet. It was leaked, but we haven't seen the final report yet. Uh, uh, but it kind of kind of enforce what we already felt was going on. I mean, there's more organizations that need to take the responsibility and it shows that we can't do this by ourselves. So those are big challenges, big struggles, because in the end, it comes down to fixing stuff on the ground. However nice chocolate we produce, however great we are growing, however uh, the amount of people that love us, in the end for us, it's about really making a difference on the ground in Western Africa and in the end in the whole frigging world, if it's up to me. Yeah, yeah, and uh, what wh what I was wondering about is that um, I think well, I I would like to know your opinion on it, but I, I um, are the consumers at fault here as well because we're everybody needs course, to take the responsibility. Yeah, yeah, be because also 
yeah because uh, in in most cases we're like oh yeah we want it as cheap as possible right we want to yeah. uh, enjoy yeah. some things as cheap as possible which is weird because uh, on the other hand uh, for other stuff we are paying a premium because we want to have it like a healthy something or something like that right um do you th do you feel like the consumers are at fault there as well Everybody is at fault, but everybody also has the potential of making a difference. So yeah. we can take the negative side and say, yes, everybody is at fault, and we start blaming each other. But I think sure. it's better to – I mean, there was a, 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 one or two years ago, I was in a traffic jam at the outskirts of Antwerp, where you're always stuck in a traffic jam, I have to say. So I called a good friend of mine who's a Belgian guy, and, and uh, I always make fun of uh, him and his country, even though I love Belgium and the Belgians. <laughs> And, and I said, uh, Stefan, this infrastructure of yours, I'm stuck in a traffic jam. And he said the wise words. He said, Inzo, you are not stuck in a traffic jam. You are the traffic jam. And we need mm. to realize that we're all part of this system that we, I mean, we can blame each other, but it doesn't solve anything. We need to yeah, realize we're all, we all have our responsibilities to take. That is chocolate producers. That is the cocoa farmers. That is uh, the governments, that is retailers, that is also uh, um, the consumers. So yes, when you stand in front of a shelf, you have the, dis I mean, I always say that you don't vote every four or six years. You vote every single day with every decision that you make. And one of those decisions is a purchase decision. What do I buy? And therefore, what world do I vote for by buying this product? So you can make a conscious choice. And in the end, if you look at the fact that last year, Albert Heijn, the biggest retailer in the Netherlands, started producing their own private label Delicata chocolate through the same principle. So they, was the, they were the first strategic partner in our Tony's Open Chain platform. Their bars, in the end, didn't become much more expensive than 8 to 10 cents for the, for the final consumer, which mm. is bearable for anybody. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and sure. it, it means everybody can do this. And if you then, and that is changing the system within the old system. And if, if you then look perhaps at what well, we take, uh, uh, um, we are fine with having a smaller net profit. Right. Uh, and then, then probably things don't even have to be uh, more expensive. You simply divide it more equally over the whole value chain. And if then entrepreneurs would say, yes, but I would take lesser. Uh, margin, I would say, yes, but look at us. We do grow 25 to 50% each year. So in the end, it's not just about that single margin you make, but also the potential you'll have by reaching consumers that love what you're doing because they want to be part of this. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that you have like an open chain platform. Could yes. you tell a little bit about that, what what that entails? Yeah, so we, we figured, I mean, ages ago... Perhaps we uh, had a slightly uh, radical uh, viewpoint that we said, okay, we need to get 100% market share to change the system. Well, you then realize that 100% market share in the galaxy when it comes to chocolate is, is quite a lot of work. Uh, and probably you reach the mission of 100% slavery chocolate worldwide sooner if you make sure that 100% of the system simply starts doing what we're doing. So... It's so essential for us to inspire other organizations, other chocolate manufacturers to simply start doing what we're doing. So we said, let's launch an open source platform called the Tony's Open Chain Platform, where people can join, where we just share this knowledge that we have. We share the value chain that we have. We also share the uh, the uh, operations. The, the, so the model we even work with, I mean, the same cooperatives deliver beans to Gullabout that produces chocolate for Albert Heijn as well. So we share uh, and everything 
the, the whole open chain, literally, we open that chain. So um, and it simply means that you need to adhere to the five sourcing principles. So it's paying a higher price to the farmers, creating a long-term relationship with them, help them become stronger farmers, strong cooperatives, uh, help them increase their quality uh, of the cocoa beans, increase the productivity on their fields, which is a responsibility for the farmers. We help them with it, but it's their responsibility. Um, and so that is the open chain platform that we launched, which simply means that let's all start doing what we're doing because then we can't say, okay, but I mean, an example was that last year I was sitting with a very big chocolate producer and they said, but Inzo, if we all start doing what you're doing, how can we still differentiate? And I looked at them harshly and I said, let's not differentiate based on basic human rights. Let's mm -hmm. adhere all to that, at least the, the ethical level of sourcing your beans in an ethical way and paying a living on income reference price to us farmers. And from there, we can differentiate based on our portfolios, on our communication, on our wrappers, on our packaging, on anything, you know, but not based on human rights. Yeah, exactly. So how do these, how do these big, because there are a few very big uh, uh, cocoa and uh, chocolate manufacturers in the world, how, yeah. do they, how do they look at this, uh, this particular issue? Well, uh, if you talk about how they look at the particular issue of forced child labor, I think perhaps 10 or 20 years ago, this was really a very unknown reality in the chocolate industry. We can't say that anymore. Mm. Um, and you could debate uh, whether the glass was half, half full or half empty 20 years ago. You could debate whether this was known then, but at least at consumer level, I, I'm happy to admit that people didn't know about this. Right mm. now, you can't say that anymore. I mean, we created, and others around us, and also journalists, and also programs, and also uh, the open information on the internet really created a transparency in this value chain that people can't say they don't know about this anymore. Uh, and especially these chocolate producers. So I would say it's about time to really admit that there is a problem and fix that problem, right? So um, some producers are calling for stronger legislation. And yes, we agree th uh, with that. And we applaud that. Yes, we need to have stronger leg legislation. But that doesn't mean walking away from your own personal responsibility as an organization to fix your value chain and pay a fair price for the cocoa beans that you buy, et cetera, et cetera. So there's much more we can do ourselves as chocolate producers uh, than just waiting for legislation to be put in place and then waiting for that legislation to be actually uh, enforced. Um, there's stuff we can do now, even before there's any form of legislation. It's just taking your moral responsibility to the planet and the society around you. Mm. And uh, what what you you mentioned that we're recording this tr during the kind of Corona crisis and stuff like that. I, I was just wondering uh, how is that uh, kind of impacting your business at the moment? So there is. I mean, let's first of all uh, uh, realize that that we are as a company, first of all, uh, not as uh, struck as hard as many other people around us, independents, smaller uh, companies, uh, etc. Uh, because we see that people still buy chocolate uh, for to consume at home, right? Mm. So, for example, our web sales have tripled over the last few weeks. Um, that definitely doesn't compensate for the lack of sales on certain other areas, right? Um, 
for example, I mean, a lot of people buy us uh, at airports. Now, there's nothing going through airports at the moment. Uh, but so we're, we're fine. And also as a company, first of all, our, all our employees are still fine and, and healthy. Everybody has been working from home for the last four or five weeks already. Um, and I normally would be traveling around the globe constantly. Well, obviously, uh, I, I work from home as well. Our stores are closed, our two stores that we have, our offices are closed, uh, and we have an amazing people and a culture team that is keeping everybody very inspired and happy and healthy. Uh, we do a lot of workouts uh, uh, at home uh, through our online training, etc. So that is fine. More importantly mm -hmm. is that uh, we're really looking at uh, what is happening at the moment in Ghana and Ivory Coast. So the partners, the cooperatives that we work with, um, there has been a, uh, delay in how the virus has uh, come to Western Africa. So we managed to, uh, well, have a bit of a head start also in what can we do to, to help. So we're in constant contact with, uh, and with and through fair trade, but also with the cooperatives and the farmers that we work with directly. Unfortunately, we've seen the first cases already uh, in Ghana and Ivory Coast in the cities and also last week already in the uh, uh, urban or, or the outskirts of the cities. So also the, the areas that we're working in. Um, and that is a concern. So we're helping them with um, and simply creating awareness around, around personal hygiene, and making sure that there's soap available and water available to wash their hands. Uh, but we are concerned because obviously the healthcare system in those countries isn't at the level that we have in Western Europe. And even here, we, we couldn't cope with uh, uh, yeah. the pressure on the healthcare system. So we are very concerned, but we're looking in where, whatever ways we can find to help them there and we're constant contact. But it's early yeah. days there still. Yeah, and that's that's the hard part about it. You you can't really uh, you can't really imagine how it would be. Uh, you don't even want to imagine how it would be if it goes further there in that exactly. uh, in that particular area exactly. of the exactly. of the world. Um, so how because you uh, mentioned that you are on stage a lot. How are you kind of coping now with uh, not being on stage? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I mean, I had an I had a. A crazy uh, six months that I was heading towards with uh, literally uh, trips to the most amazing conferences all around the globe. Uh, mm. And in, um, in well, actually at the moment uh, that uh, Holland uh, got into this lockdown, I was supposed to be in uh, Brisbane, Australia. And at the last moment, I decided myself that that might be a, a challenge coming back again. And that mm. was uh, that was a good uh, presumption I had because, indeed, the country went into a lockdown. And uh, well, one colleague of mine came back last week from Australia, for example. Mm. Um, yeah. So it has radically changed the way I do my job, which is tends to be uh, personal uh, contact on stage, interviews, podcasts. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I've set up a home studio. Uh, we've uh, set up uh, quickly all software and hardware that I need to do online talks. So I stream uh, online talks on YouTube uh, for the whole globe. We had one yesterday in Dutch. I've done a couple for grade schools, a couple for high schools and, uh, and universities. Doing a big one for the University of Applied Sciences next week. I'm doing one for the UK and the US next week so anybody that's uh, interested in hearing what we do how we do things uh, and mostly how we're working towards that 100 percent slavery chocolate worldwide is welcome to tune in 
on our open uh, YouTube uh, streams that we have, uh, and the links uh, are available on our um, on our website to uh, to chip in. So that is how quickly we've changed from um, well offline talks to online talks, and I'm happy that uh, that there's so many people that are still interested in hearing this uh, this story. Yeah. Do Do you think that uh, when this kind of crisis is uh, is uh, like moving, if we move past it, and when we move past it, uh, do you think it will also uh, impact that uh, that way of working? Because as you said, you are going I on stage so. a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, is it? Do you think it will be more online than than it was before? Yeah, I think so, and 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 definitely, I hope so. Because uh, obviously there's a lot of travel time and therefore also a lot of wasted time and, and, and also a lot of uh, pollution by traveling for many of the public speakers and uh, international speakers that I see everywhere across the globe. Mm. And I hope this means that, well, first of all, we see the acceptance of uh, uh, online working, online meetings, um, uh, online seminars and webinars ha has greatly increased and even the personal knowledge on how to use that software has greatly increased, right? And that is, I think, a, ch a change. Uh, I do think that there will obviously still be conferences where people get together because a big part of these things is also networking and being face-to-face. -face. Mm. But uh, I think even in those situations when we move to, to, uh, to that sort of... Uh, situation again because it's not back to where we used to be i hope we're moving forward to where we need to be I hope uh, so, yeah. yeah and i hope that the fact that uh, some international speakers will then not travel or simply be on screen on stage at those conferences i hope that acceptance will increase because i do see that i make more impact when i'm there live but if we if we improve the local infrastructure whether that's on uh, holograms like Tupac and Michael Jackson, or uh, semi holograms that that and those systems uh, exist, uh, uh, then I think we can reach uh, at least an an, an equal uh, level of impact by not traveling. And if it's a lower impact, then at least the impact on the world has uh, has decreased. Uh, yeah. And I think that will be for <laughs> whether it's just my family situation uh, or even just uh, decreasing travel time and efficiency, I think that would change. So I would hope yeah. to see that many international speakers can just stay uh, where they are and do their talk from there uh, by having a better infrastructure on my side and better infrastructure on the conference side. I think that would be possible. And I, I, well, I, I hope that will be uh, the future. Yeah, and uh, when you look at it, um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of software out there already for doing online conferences, like real online conferences, where yeah. you can have like thirty speakers uh, and uh, someone can tune in when they want to listen to a particular speaker or something like that. And yeah. that speaker has a bigger audience, so th that's that's also a, a kind of a kind of extra on on that end where you exactly. can reach more re you can reach more people that's the exactly. that's the whole, uh, exactly. whole idea and even if i reach less people in one single webinar or conference i could do four a day right yeah exactly uh, yeah. so um uh, yeah in that way i could reach a big audience and i would love yeah. to see that happening yeah i have one uh, one small question about public speaking because i think it would be interesting for some listeners as well so um you've done obviously a lot of talks and stuff like that uh, there's a lot of people that struggle with public speaking where where they're like i, I want to be a pu better public speaker or something like that uh what, what are some of the small like tips that you can give to people to to get better at that 
Ooh, I could talk for days about this. <laughs> yeah, um, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my best tip would be to simply watch other uh, speakers. So, mm. um, I mean, the, the, the easiest and best source to go to would be TED. Uh, and simply uh, for for a couple of years, I would be watching one or two TED Talks every night before I went to sleep. And not just for the amazing content, which obviously is in the end what you want to convey, but I also look technically at how do they speak? How do they build up a story? How can you reach such an impact in just 18 minutes instead of going on for 45 or 60 minutes, which I think tends to be useless. Yeah. Um, so technically and content-wise, look at those kind of speakers. There's a couple of amazing books, whether it's uh, Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath, which is a great book about storytelling. Uh, there's amazing sources online. And then it's just getting out there and doing it. I mean, in the mm. end, you become a, 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 a good public speaker by just going out and doing it, whether it's for small audience, audiences or bigger audiences. I mean, I would I would recommend just grabbing any opportunity to can, you can to get your story out there. And then you yeah. see what, what works and what doesn't work for people. Um, yeah. Have fun doing it would be a great tip that I would say. I mean, I talk about a very serious subject, but I'm very passionate about this subject, and people love to see that passion. So just enjoy telling this story, um, and uh, and make sure that you. Okay, the final tip I would give, but that's a already a pro level tip, would be to, that when you want to tell a story, bear in mind when you start telling a story, what do you want people to know, what do you want people to feel. And what do you want people to do afterwards, right? So what's the actionability? What do you want people to actually do with the knowledge and the and the emotions you just gave them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's as you said, that's a pro level. <laughs> that that's yeah. like the that's that's like the top of the top. Like yeah. when when you when you look at public speaking, because when I look at myself, uh, I I always like hated public speaking. Not hate it, but it's more like a. You, you, when you start out doing it, you're like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of nervous and stuff like that. And then, uh, as I, I mentioned that to, to a lot of people that also ask, I get this question as well, uh, and I, I tell them like, okay, just start off with a small group of people that you know, right? So start off with a small group of people. Start with like your five, friends at the bar. Yeah, so yeah. You or, actually convey your story properly at the bar, and if you don't, then, then sharpen up your story. Yeah, yeah, and uh, or inside of your own company, right? Uh, yeah. If you if you did something cool, uh, just show it, like uh, yeah. demo it. Uh, yeah, I have, and, I've then, done uh, it. and then a very good and risk-free but very useful test is then tested on uh, students, right? Mm -hmm. Go out to universities and ask them whether you can do a talk, because those. Yeah. I mean, if you can if you can motivate students, you can motivate anyone, um, yeah. and because they are a critical audience and sharp audience, and they will sharpen you up. Uh, yeah, and exactly. Then, and and I and I think any public speaker needs to be open to open for feedback to realize how they can sharpen their story because too many speakers are very content with themselves, um, mm. right? And then and then they don't learn uh, and they don't realize that they could still improve on their on their on their speaking and on their story. Yeah, and especially if you have a small group, you can just go around and ask people, like, okay, uh, what, what's what's something that I could uh, could change? For example, I had uh, that I wanted, to, I tended to speak too fast. Like that's a really right. uh, because you're nervous, you're like trying to get the story out there instead of just taking a breather and 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 uh, and conveying your story. Yeah. So th those are some of the things. And uh, you mentioned the good book, but th there's also uh, speaking.io that's a that's a website that I use a lot which I send to a lot of people like 
it gets into everything like preparation structure of your talk uh, and also how you should do your first talk and stuff like that so uh, that's a, that's a good one I have no idea. I'm actually logging it right now. Yeah, it's 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 a great. Uh, it was from a guy I think uh, Zach Holman is his name. Uh, he worked at GitHub, so he did a lot of talks and just wrote it down for everybody to see. Right. Um, so it's a great uh, it's a great website to to give to people just to uh, to uh, if they want to get better at public speaking. So uh, I have one more question to wrap up. Uh, what what's kind of the what's the the thing you're kind of most proud of since you started at Tony's? I think the fact that um, when I started out at Tony's or with Tony's, I would I could never have imagined back then that today I would actually honestly be able to say that I, I see this uh, becoming a global brand. Uh, and then it's important to immediately uh, also state that I don't care about us becoming a global brand, honestly. It's about us initiating or or forming part of a global movement that I see happening, where people uh, are able to indulge themselves with a lovely product like chocolate and doing something good for society and planet around them. And it's just amazing to see that resonate across the globe. Wherever we go, people are inspired to see that, uh, that they can actually be part of this movement. And so that is something that is really uh, amazing, I think, uh, in such a short time frame, how we managed to uh, reach so many people uh, and and make an impact, even though we're still a drop in the ocean. Huh? You need to realize that as well. Yeah. Uh, we're a drop in the ocean. There's so much more we need to do around us. Very cool. Very cool. How can uh, people find Tony's on uh, on the internet? Tony'sChocolateOnly.com. Definitely yep. go there and do me a big personal favor and yourself a favor and the planet and the galaxy a favor. Become serious friend of Tony's on our website uh, and uh, sign our petition that's on our website as well. So that's tonyschocolonely.com slash petition. Okay, great. Uh, thanks a lot, Enzo, for, uh, for your time. Uh, Thank you very much. No problem at all. And for the people listening, you can find the Bits vs. Byte podcast on bitsvsbytes.com uh, and also on all uh, major podcasting platforms. And there's a newsletter if you want to get the five things about business, technology, and leadership. You can find that on uh, bitsvsbytes.com slash newsletter and you'll get that every two weeks on Friday. Uh, thank you a lot for, uh, for listening and uh, until next time.